So I was sitting here thinking I could wait until everyone completely came in and until I was completely collected and unified in body, mind, and heart. But then I realized that <laughs> that I have good enough samadhi. <laughs> uh, so that's what I'm wishing for you as you go out, is that it's good enough samadhi, that you're not working for some perfect thing to take home with you. But to be able to enjoy and have a good enough samadhi. Ten days or so ago, you all unplugged yourselves from your busy lives, renounced your usual escapes and energy drains, and came into a secluded place. And you turned the energy inward, all that energy inward, in the service of seeing clearly, of settling, the stilling the mind, so that you could experience things as they really are. So there's been an emptying out and a clearing for everyone. And we feel more deeply connected to what's important to us in our lives. So just sense that as you're sitting here. Sense in your bodies, your minds and hearts how much you've settled, how much more connected you feel to your whole being. All of us are in different places right now experiencing different mind states. And even as I speak, those mind states are changing and will continue to change. There may be moments where you feel soft, peaceful, open, loving, awake. Or there may be times of feeling discouraged or irritated or some difficult emotion may be here. Or maybe I haven't had any insights and everyone else has. Something like that. Some years ago, my partner came back from his second or third month-long retreat and he said, this time I don't think anything happened. I didn't have any insights. I don't think I got really deep. And he was just as so open and spacious and unreactive. (laughs) It sort of blew me away if she wasn't aware of that. (laughs) So that is actually what's important. It's how this translates into how we live our lives, how it unfolds in how we're being with our friends, our family, with the world. So withhold any evaluation about how this retreat has gone. It's still in process. Whether or not you feel you've been deeply concentrated, whatever you feel has happened, throughout the week you've been gradually acquiring these tools and training the mind. And it has a powerful impact. We've been putting grooves in the mind that lead us into clear seeing, open-heartedness, and all the beautiful qualities of the mind and heart. And so we're taking home with us some of these tools from the retreat. And what will be important is how we keep them alive. 
not just putting them away in the toolbox and then not taking it out till the next retreat, but using them, exploring with them, making them our own, each of us. So I'd like to explore this transition period a little bit, talk about some of the things that will support our practice as we leave and help us integrate some of these learnings and experiences, some of the value of this particular practice into our lives. One of the beautiful things about the Eightfold Path is that each of the path factors supports and enhances all of the others. So the motivation and intention that we came with, the integrity and sila that we committed to when we created our container, when we arrived, those enabled us to practice with wise effort, wise mindfulness, and build our concentration so that we developed wise understanding. And now we can leave the retreat and that can move into intention and into wise action. And there we are. We began with sila and we're ending with sila. And so the path factors are polishing each other as we've been practicing. And so it can be helpful to think of the samadhi basket, that's the effort, concentration, and mindfulness, as working together beautifully in our lives as well. We might work with them in a slightly different way, but it's still, um, they're still um, alive for us as we leave. There are so many different ways we can collect and unify our body, mind, and heart in our daily lives. These energies of the body, mind, and heart, bringing them together in the service of clear seeing. And how we, how we use them is a little bit um, using our wise effort um, to focus on what's positive, skillful, and beneficial. And refrain from what's unskillful and leading in directions that aren't really so useful to us. One of the analogies I like is of the path being like a bridge from an unsafe shore to the shore of clarity and liberation. And there are three pillars to the bridge. The first pillar on the unsafe shore that we, where we begin is the pillar of sila, integrity. And um, we begin with, as best we can, acting skillfully and carefully, protecting ourselves and each other. The middle pillar, which goes down into the depth of the fast-flowing river, is the samadhi. And the far pillar, the pillar on the other shore, is wise understanding and then wise intention. So this middle pillar has to plunge down into the really deep depths of the fast-flowing currents of our mind, our reactivities, our difficulties, our habitual patterns. And so, as you can see, it needs a lot of attention to be strong enough to withstand all that. It's not easy. And that's what we've been doing here. We've been gathering these energies and getting a strong foundation for our samadhi pillar, coming more and more here, getting more and more stable here, this unshakable heart, 
unshakable body and mind so that we can have this deepening capacity to be with the suffering, to be with the difficulties and not get swayed by the currents. A concentration practice is also really a practice of learning to let go. One of its lingering effects that we find as we leave retreat is that it actually is easier to let go of some of the stickier places. And you remember when we began the retreat, I talked about the three wise witakas. Um, Bhantini Gunaratna uses the wise intention as what we sustain on, so he, what we connect and sustain to. So the three wise witakas. And the first of these is renunciation. And we can take this into our lives in a skillful way and practice it and enhance um, the power of our mind. We can build the power of turning away from these difficult patterns of, that um, Andrea was talking about last night where we get caught in greed, aversion, and delusion. Of turning the mind to what's wholesome and of not being turned by the by the temptations and um, aversions and delusions. And we've been building this ability to let go all week simply by connecting and sustaining on the breath and refraining from everything else. That's a powerful letting go practice. We're strengthening the letting go muscle when we do that. We're releasing the distractions over and over in a really simple way. And it's pretty powerful. The mind is getting trained, even though we're not aware of that happening. And as we start to return to the world, we can see how powerful these deeply ingrained patterns are. Well, I don't need to tell you that. We know. It takes tremendous commitment and courage to keep following this intention to connect, sustain, and refrain a lot. An intention is like that. It's not something we make once. I let go of that. I'm done. Because in the next moment, there it is again. We connect over and over again. We have a fresh start. And the concentration gives us a stability while we're on retreat to see things as they are and to see things release. And some, some of you have described that. It just dissolved. My mind wasn't turned. Wow. But when we leave here, those strong grooves will catch us again when we don't have such concentration. Because some of them are very strong and automatic. Some of them don't even go through the cortex. (laughs) And I think you know the ones I mean. Ones that have been built in childhood that are different from each of us, where something triggers us and there's that reaction. Sometimes it's physiological and it's triggered by fear or hurt or anger or whatever it is, and there's the reaction. And even if our mind might not be hooked, our body is. It happens so fast. 
And so it's really helpful to have compassion and non-judging about some of those paths. A moment of losing it and a fresh start. What will condition the grooves of letting go is the more we can come back with kindness and simply begin again. That continuity of connecting and sustaining, it's very helpful. And so that's the value of the first two of the wise efforts that Donald mentioned a number of days ago, of relinquishing and abandoning, of recognizing our particular difficult patterns. What can we do to avoid getting caught? And as our wisdom strengthens when we're on retreat, we see that what we're really relinquishing is actually suffering. It's not that we're repressing something or denying something. We're just relinquishing that second arrow. We're relinquishing suffering. When our concentration isn't very strong, it's hard to believe that giving up habit patterns can lead to joy. Because some of the habit patterns are telling us, just this will fix it for you, whatever that happens to be. For me, it might be a Sudoku puzzle when I'm supposed to be writing a Dharma talk. (laughs) The procrastination the next day is dukkha. (laughs) But in that moment, it's temptation. This will be pleasant. You like doing this. And I'm overcome. (laughs) If there's just enough mindfulness, I can see the beginning of that Sudoku. (laughs) And resist. (laughs) And for you it may be other things, (laughs) or much bigger things. But it helps to practice with the little ones. So we can let go when we're about to be pulled in. And wisdom understands, as Andrea was saying so beautifully last night, the wanting arises and passes. We can let it come and let it go without having to fulfill it or give in to it. And the rewards of the renunciation are that we can stop filling our lives with all the things that call, call on our attention. And this frees the energy up. And it makes energy available for us, available for things that are really meaningful, that we want. And we're not so caught up in holding on. The energy freed from holding on is such a relief. And I could even feel that in my body as I said that. As I said the word, holding on, you notice what I did with my hands? I went like that. I could feel my belly contracting. So that's one of the signals, holding on is happening and it can help us release. When we put down the grasping, when we just release it, there's tension, ease, softening, contentment. So renunciation is a deepening of kindness to ourselves. There's a beautiful um, phrase by Thomas Merton that is escaping me at the moment, but it's to do with our busyness being a violence to ourselves, being harmful. And in the Metta Sutta, it advises us to be unburdened with duties 
and frugal in our ways. Not adding on so many things to our lives that our energy is like this and it's hard to collect and unify when we're trying to hold too many things. So we're fostering the mind of non-clinging, of ease, of letting go. And we can pay attention with wise Wataka of what am I connecting to and sustaining my attention on? And is this really where I want to go? And we can pause and check out and know what we're actually doing and what's happening as a result of what I'm doing. What's the outcome of doing this? And at any moment in that, we can change, we can release. There's more choice. And so we begin to be able to renounce the things that are causing difficulty in our lives, whether it's needing approval or being enough or the concepts that are confusing, wrong understandings, not trying to get it right all the time, limiting beliefs. We can refrain from getting caught by all those and following them. And it's not about getting rid of them, but just noticing, is this skillful or not? So then some of the things that get cultivated as we practice with samadhi are that we feel refreshed and we feel steadied. So there's a refreshing quality, steadying, stabilizing. And we feel blessed. And there are, that I've heard described, the four blessings of samadhi that we can take out in our lives. And the first is learning to be simple. And the second is this learning to be alert and present in our lives. The gift of full presence that um, the royal elephant fully being in our lives. And when you were sharing this afternoon, you noticed that, what that was like to have someone be full, people be fully present when you were talking, to feel fully present yourself, and the connection, the gift of connection that came from that. And the third is this when we can turn our mind to something and become intimate with it, there's a knowing, it starts to reveal itself. And then the fourth is we see more deeply still into the true nature of things and we become freed from our delusion, from our wrong view. We experience things as they actually are and we don't need to chase or resist anymore. So this composed and refreshed mind is looking into the nature of things. And we taste this original brightness and clarity of the mind. So those are the blessings. And as I can remember to weave them in, I'll talk about them a little bit more. Being with simplicity is just this breath just this breath in our practice here becomes just this moment in our lives. Just this thing I'm doing right now. 
I noticed um, practicing as a physician for many years and going from retreat into practice. Um, sometimes when I wasn't settled, I would go from one patient to another and be carrying the last through patient, few patients with me. So by the end of the day, there was quite a crowd in the room. <laughs> and some of you were familiar with that kind of thing in your work. You're carrying the past with you. Or maybe you're carrying the future, what you're going to have for lunch, or what else is happening into this interaction. And so it's being with just this one, just this breath, just this moment, just this person, whatever the situation is. And taking relaxed attention into our lives that we've been exploring all week. That beautiful example that Philip gave and then Andrea built on of this hand here and the difference between pushing at our experience pulling at our experience, grasping, hovering, all the ways that we can be with experience, leaning into experience. And then there's the possibility of just relaxing, fully connecting with experience, this feeling out and knowing. Just this moment enough. Since that right now, not this habitual movement into the next moment that we so frequently get caught in. So there's that attitude of it's enough right now and of patience rather than demand or expectation. When we're fresh like that, we're free from the past We're free from thoughts about the future and we're free from concepts in the present moment. We meet someone we haven't seen for a while and we notice the tendency to put onto them how they were the last time we saw them. Can we see them fresh? Can we experience ourselves fresh this moment? So we're continuing with the same attitude that we had towards the breath the same relationship, connecting with all of experience this way. Soft, friendly, curious, loving, allowing. It's so beneficial to keep carrying this attitude with us, whatever our experience is, whether it's easy or difficult, and protecting ourselves. We're also taking home with us this training to be embodied, to be right here, to know how the body is and how the heart is. The value of the breath bringing us into this body. And we can pause in any moment and interrupt the habitual tendencies. What's next? Whenever we connect with the breath, we're letting the thought go. There's a pause and a gap, and a possibility for sacredness, for stillness. We're not filling the gaps with busyness, thoughts, discursive mind, the obsessive story of me. 
the inner narrative that's describing all of our experience that can happen so often. We get so easily caught up in the content in our lives, in the minutiae that make up every day. It's so easy. I know often when I go home from retreat, it's, I get disappointed by how trivial some of the thoughts start to become when there's been all this space and I'm attached to how beautiful that was to having that space. And the stillness can escape us. And so it's remembering to connect with the breath just as we are, whether we're having a mind that's full of trivial thoughts or not. It's okay. And remembering to connect with how the body is right now and those phrases that we found so useful. May the body relax. May the mind be at ease. Connecting to the body in this way is very healing for the nervous system. It gets to calm down. May the body be calm. May the mind be calm. And we can bring attunement When I was um, chanting, actually each time I chant is really useful because I can tell what my samadhi is like, how collected. Because <laughs> sometimes I lose, how many times did we do this? Was this the third repetition or the second repetition? <laughs> the more present I am, the more I know. And if I'm really attuned, the right pitch that will work for everyone emerges. If I'm not so attuned, we're maybe a little bit high, and then people are having a hard time. <laughs> or if I'm too, etc. Um, and what's been so beautiful for me is that I can know that. And it's not a problem anymore. It's just how it is. In the earlier years of my practice, it was upsetting if I wasn't balanced, if I thought I'd lost where I was, or if I didn't come out with the right pitch. There was a judgment and a contraction. And now it's, this is how it is. Not that's not caring, but not being thrown off balance by it. Still connecting with joy and appreciation. So we can breathe in with any activity. We can let the breath be a through line, whatever we're doing. And the breath in this moment, and the body. Training to allow the awareness to receive the whole body. What's happening in the body right now? And we get these messages that can show us, I'm holding on, I'm really tense, something's going on. All of a sudden, I haven't been aware of anything below here for the last four hours. I actually have a body. Notice it now. Can you be aware of your hands and feet? Are you in your body? Are you aware of a heart and a feeling? What's it like to be aware of the energy in the heart right now? The energy in the whole body right now. Just this practice 
of connecting in over and over. The last few days we've been practicing more momentary concentration. We move from just one object to opening our attention to include more and more objects. And as our practice and momentum grew, strength and flexibility developed. Our awareness grew stronger. We were able to know more and more objects. It's like our awareness becomes this receiver that can capture many different channels. And we can tune in a little more to whichever one we specifically want without necessarily having to let go of the others, but just to be able to know, oh, the attention's over here or over here. There's more with the breath, but I'm aware of the body. And it's very useful to be able to be aware of the changing objects, the reactions to the objects, and of awareness itself. And this is the mind becoming unified with itself. And it's easier when we have concentration to turn our attention from the changing objects towards awareness itself. The nun Upasika Ki that I mentioned the other night says, if we're aware right at awareness itself without getting involved, the mind can be at equanimity calm, balanced, undisturbed. So whatever we're doing when we're like that, at times the mind can be very steady. And whatever moves through the mind is simply being known and not causing a disturbance. It's a calm, still knowing. It's as though whatever is moving through the sky is not disturbing the sky. Whether the birds are, I think Sharon Salzberg uses this example, whether they're vultures or crows or magpies or jackdaws or nightingales, whatever kind of birds they are, whatever noises they're making, they're not disturbing the sky. They're just coming and going. And so as we're Becoming to the towards the end of our retreat, we have these two practices: the practice of using one object, and the practice of being able to pay attention to many different objects. Both of them are valuable, and we can blend them at times. If putting our attention on awareness and many objects is leading to spaciness rather than spaciousness then we collect the attention in and have one object. If our one object has got us to exclude everything else, and that's not necessarily useful in our daily lives, we want to open it up a bit. So I'd like to talk a little bit more about what's appropriate concentration in daily life. And it's related to different circumstances, and changing capacities. Uh, so, for example, we've all heard of these um, savants, some, pe- some of the autistic savants, who may have incredible powers of concentration, music, whether it's to do with music or art or math. 
they're incredibly focused on one thing and brilliant at that one thing. And yet, they are not able to have any inclusive vision and connect with others in the world around them. And sometimes absorption can be used like that. We get completely absorbed in our concentration. The mind is unwavering, but we're not able to connect with anything else. We might say to our friends, don't talk to me right now, I'm watching the breath, which isn't so useful. (laughs) Larry Rosenberg describes this state of people who get attached to absorption in this way as these people don't work on their demons, so their demons remain strong. Such people are still deluded, but just very calm in their delusion. (laughs) So that's not what we're aiming for. And we want the way we use our concentration practice in our lives to be useful. Again, in my physician days, I came back from a concentration retreat, and I was in a beautiful state. I was open and loving and perceiving everyone and everything as perfect. And so I sat there and experienced all my patients as perfect, whole, complete, divine. But they weren't experiencing themselves as whole, complete, (laughs) and divine, and they wanted me to do something about it. But I was sitting there in a place of (laughs) non-doing. And the poor front desk staff were (laughs) buzzing in the way. Anyway, you get the point. (laughs) It wasn't skillful. It was very pleasant, but it wasn't... (laughs) It wasn't wise. (laughs) And so that's what the Buddha meant about not stopping within. A bhikkhu should be able to be mindful without getting, stopping without, without stopping, with, not without wandering without, and without stopping within. And this is the way there's wisdom. So we want to cultivate a mind that's less deeply concentrated and more inclusive. So we're more aware of whatever goes on. We can have calmness and spaciousness. We can have calmness and vividness, connectedness, so the, our concentration practice and our vipassana go together. There's this weave and blend in our daily lives. And we can make wise choices. Times when we can be really focused on one object, just with this person, just this moment. And times when, we, when it's more skillful to include more things. When there's a totality of the moment and we're aware of a wise totality. So as we were talking the last few days about the insight practices, our concentration practice enables us to go deeper and see more clearly and we develop levels of inner joy and happiness that profoundly affect our relationship to life. There's less compulsion to get caught in the busyness. We really know this isn't going to lead to lasting happiness. The mind can lose its addiction to proliferation, and it's more inclined to the inner stillness where true happiness lies. 
And some of you have also mentioned and come in and talked about how when there's been a little more concentration, you've noticed the thoughts self-liberate, they disappear. You'd been having these difficult thoughts earlier in the retreat, and now the same thing arises and it just dissolves. And there's a sense of freedom. Or you're able to, some of you who, like me, have learned that beautiful phrase, helpful phrase from Ajahn Sumedho, um, whatever it is, um, restlessness is like this. Disappointment is like this. The is like this that just describes the exact experience. But in saying it's like this, there's a knowing it's a mind state. And so people have come in said and saying, well, I said disappointment is like this, and it dissolved. Wonderful. But, and so the more concentrated we are, the less sticky the mind states are. It's like this closed fist that we come into retreat with starts to go like this. And their mind states come, and it's like Teflon mind. They just move away. But we can't hold on to that kind of concentration and clarity. And as we leave retreat, the mind starts to get more sticky, and it becomes Velcro mind again, which is unpleasant. But the wisdom that we've been experiencing, and even if you don't think that this has been happening, on some level it has, the wisdom of seeing these three characteristics help us even when we can't in the moment let go. One of the struggles, and this is true for many people I know, that I've had in my practice and in my life is this sort of theme of inadequacy um, and of not good enough and those various things. And I've seen in, you know, in concentrated states on retreats, it arises and passes. I see the inadequate thoughts arise. I see the mind state that believes them arise. I see the identification with them arise and all that. And they arise and pass. And it's very freeing. And the default position starts to change. And then half an hour later, there comes the mind state that believes them. Clunk. There comes the mind state that identifies with them clunk. It's stuck again. But because of the previous experiences, there's more knowing and seeing now of how they get fed. They get fed when we believe them. They get fed when we identify with them. And so there's more possibility of knowing there's a choice in feeding them. And also seeing that they arise due to causes and conditions, and they will leave due to causes and conditions. And there's a choice about the conditions that I'm putting in the future. And so if I say to myself, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not permanent, sometimes they dissolve. Sometimes they don't. And some other mind state arises that says, ah, shut up. That's not the experience right now. Go away. (laughs) But then humor arises. And what's happening is I'm realizing I'm not taking it so seriously. Something is, the, the structure is loosening. And it's sort of gradually weakening. And that's the, the important piece that 
gradually they start to get looser and they don't, they're not so solid. The more we continually um, avoid feeding, the first two efforts is avoiding feeding, and then the second is watering what's skillful, kindness, compassion, humor, appreciation. So the letting go happens over and over on retreat in our lives. The sooner we catch them, the sooner, the the more choice we have. It's knowing but not owning them. We know this mind state has arisen and there's a choice about identifying and owning it. But it's still very disconcerting when we leave retreat and several weeks later, or even several hours later, there it is again, that particular irritating habit pattern. And if we say, this shouldn't be happening, it feeds it again. Ajahn Chah has a lovely phrase, if it shouldn't be happening, it wouldn't be happening. (laughs) It just arose, so stop fighting it. Um, So there it is, it's come back. And maybe we're having a moment when the concentration and mindfulness aren't strong enough. That's how it is. We don't, know, we don't have the capacity. There's no mindfulness. And the Satipatthana Sutta, it says, a bhikkhu knows a mind of concentration or a mind with no concentration. A mind that's distracted and a mind that's not distracted. There's no evaluation about it. It's just knowing. Oh, there's no mindfulness right now. Well, there's no concentration right now. Not making a big deal about it. Being able to say, what's my capacity right now? I'm overwhelmed. I don't have any capacity. So then there's no expectation about not being caught. Again, from Ajahn Chah, if you only have a wheelbarrow, don't act like you have a 10-ton truck. So it's learning to be okay with where we are, not taking the causes and conditions personally. The other thing that's helpful is really, really the importance of loving kindness and compassion. So important, especially as these layers of ego self that we maybe don't like so much start to peel off. Don't be discouraged by reactivity. In a way, the clearer we start to become, the more we feel the vulnerability, the less guarding there is, and the deeper the insecurities are revealed. And that, I know that that's true from my own practice. Things we couldn't deal with before, now the deeper places are starting to show themselves. It doesn't mean something's wrong. And I think, you know, I've probably said this before, but I need to hear it again too. It's important to remember that. As the inner boundaries dissolve, it does lead to fullness of being, but it also makes space for some of these hidden difficult energies, the more deeply rooted ones, to emerge. And we can, in our practice and on retreat, move through layers and cycles. The layers and cycles can happen within a retreat. They can happen from one retreat to the next retreat. 
and they can happen in our lives. And when you leave retreat, sometimes they happen. You may be in a really peaceful, open, soft place of love and acceptance, and then some difficulty will emerge, and you think, what happened? See if you can allow that this is just moving through. And if we can be with it with love and compassion, it can get to transform. The more we're able to allow and be with these stuff as it moves through, and not feed it by identifying or believing it, it gets to transform. And it's like at some point there's a sort of tipping point where the negative patterns decrease and the positives start to grow. And sometimes it can seem like, where is that? And we need patience to just keep being with it, just like you were patient and just came back to the breath and came back to the breath. We can pay Sometimes what happens um, is that we forget that it happens really slowly. And that it, this, it's like we're recruiting this pathway. Some of you have heard of these people who've had strokes and they've had to repeat one very tedious action over and over and over and over again until the nervous system is rewired so that they can now do that activity again. It's the same thing as we're rewiring the brain. We're re, we're, as we move from some of these difficult patterns, it takes time. It doesn't just take one big insight on one retreat and then we're transformed. I wish. I wish I could give that to all of you. <laughs> So that's where the patience comes in. Sometimes we get overwhelmed and swept away by states in our lives, whatever they are, against our will, and we get carried into these painful places. Then there's the value of the metta chant, the compassion chant, the metta practices. I found them very valuable. And what they do is they point us back to the ever-present compassionate, silent heart. We can let these difficult states be touched by the heart. And we're training ourselves not to be terrorized by the mad mind, but to allow the compassion of the heart to hold the mad mind. So rather than judge it, we're allowing the support of the heart to help us just stay, just this. Can I be here with just this? for just this moment. This is how it is right now. And we can begin to find ground, find perspective and courage to just keep being. And we start to be able to be with our own reactivity with kindness, patience, compassion, resolve. And as all those qualities grow, then more wisdom arises. And that's the beauty of up this eightfold path. As the concentration develops, these qualities naturally start to arrive. arrive. They're, the, they're the qualities of the heart. They start to be revealed. As they're revealed, we develop more trust and confidence, more wisdom arises, and we can practice more. And so it deepens beautifully.
it helps to cultivate well-being and ease intentionally in our lives. We can choose where we're putting our attention rather than focusing on deficiencies and inadequacies and what's wrong in our lives to intentionally intentionally put our attention on the things that we're grateful for, on the capacities and skills that we've gathered through our practice. The gladdening effect of our practice, the bringing of joy that comes from a still mind and a still heart. Often, when some of the difficulties have emptied out, there's room for joy. Some of you have talked about how there feels like, oh, there's space now that all this stuff has moved through. Just notice what's in the space. What does it feel like to have that space? Take the time to be there for the pleasant moments, for the beautiful moments. One of the cartoons I like is of this man who's going like this, and he says, what was that? What was that? And the next caption says, Bob experiences a pleasant moment. (laughs) So allow them in. We rush through our lives. Don't just say, oh, I had that insight, on to the next. You know, it's like you put a gold star up and move on. Rest in it, appreciate it, allow it to grow and get bigger. Share it with yourself. If you've written, written it down when, you've left, when you left before you leave the retreat, reconnect with that experience. What did it feel like when you felt that? When the heart opened? Or when you were able to let go of something? Appreciate those moments. Turning towards the heart rather than being turned to look at what's wrong in ourselves, in our lives. Recognizing our inherent wholeness. Allowing the releasing of these inner barriers, these illusions of how we believe ourselves to be. Maintaining self-image is so painful. And we see that when we leave retreat, how the self-image starts to come back. And we notice that. It can be a major cause of stress. Lily Tomlin says, I always wanted to be somebody. I guess I should have been more specific. (laughs) But we're wanting to just be. The freedom to just be. And what a relief it is to just be. And what supports that is the direct experience of joy in just being that can come as our minds stabilize and collect together. Um, Earlier this year, no, last year, whenever I'm losing track, yes, it was last year, I arrived to teach a very big retreat, and I arrived sort of jumbled and not feeling very together, and I started feeling off balance and inadequate, and oh my God, people are going to expect me to be wise. And so I just went and I sat for a little bit on my own and reflected, and I could see, I felt like I was a house of cards, and that at any moment the cards might all fall down, and people would see what I really was, that I really didn't know anything. 
And so I could see that each of these cards was an identity, ways I thought I should be. And so there was this just feeling of unsettledness. And then, well, what if all the cards fell down? And they were saying, whoa, that's really scary. Well, what if they did all fall down? And so I let them all fall down. And what I dissolved, what, what dissolved into was space, love, clarity, just, oh, just being is fine. And that just release of letting go of being anybody. And it didn't come from a deep state of concentration. It just took turning to what I was doing in being attached to those cards. And so later on during the week, every once in a while, I would feel that sense of insecurity come up. And I remembered, oh, all fall down. (laughs) And it helped me, oh, just being is fine. I don't know. And it's being able to be with, I don't know and see what comes, trust. And that was what I saw, is I can trust not knowing. I can trust what might emerge. In fact, there's a lot more space for the truth of the Dharma to be here if all the structures and cards are not in place. And that's true in our lives, when we're not holding on so tightly. There's more space for our intuition, our wisdom, our own inner knowing. And so that's that allowing of simplicity. We're not so separate in our lives. There's a fullness of being. And our daily life, collecting, unifying, blending mindfulness and concentration with skillful, easeful effort, takes us into that full, direct experience of being. Even when it's difficult, we can know this is a difficult moment and have compassion for it. And it brings more ease. We're not separate from life. We're opening into the possibility of aliveness, of delight, of this vulnerability and preciousness of life, where we can connect fully with ourselves, with each other, with the planet. And our world really needs that from us. It needs us to be fully present, awake, and compassionate, and wise. So that feels like enough. So thank you for your attention. And I wish you all joy, openness, clarity, compassion, and clear seeing. May it be so. Thank you for listening. 
To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.